And so to try to present stories that bring people to life who are, you know, diverse and, and unique and specific and individual and different from oneself, but in a way that respects their dignity as human beings mm -hmm. and humanizes them, mm -hmm. uh, I think is, is one of the functions that storytelling is really well suited for. Hello and welcome once again to Jumping Off the Ivory Tower with Prof. Julie Mack. My name is Dana Cornwall and I'm the Project Coordinator at the National Self-Represented Litigants Project at the University of Windsor. And I'm Julie McFarlane, the Director of the National Self-Represented Litigants Project at Windsor Law. This is our final episode of before, our... Before the holiday season. Yes, final episode of the our third uh, season. Which is really wow, exciting. This is seasons. like, I yep. believe, 37 or some Correct. odd yep. episodes, which I think we should give ourselves a pat on the back for that. And we've had amazing guests. Oh, my um, gosh, Anybody yes. who hasn't listened to the, some of the past ones, go back and take a route around. Yes, please do There's on your holiday there. travels. If you've got time to kill in the car or on the plane, uh, please go back and, and listen to any episodes that you might have missed uh, in this season or the previous seasons because we've got some really fabulous episodes. We wanted to end the season on, you know, maybe a little bit of a different note. We realized as well that this season has been pretty law and access to justice oh, heavy. Law heavy. Law heavy. What a bummer. <laughs> We've had, again, some excellent episodes. <laughs> but just looking through, we thought, you know, we want to we want to cover, you know, the broader spectrum of social justice issues. So we were trying to think of what might make sense to have kind of a fun closing episode for the season. And we thought perhaps moving into the arts with social justice was one way to go. So this episode is all about social justice theater. And we have some really great examples of this in our own community. And I'm fortunate enough to be somewhat involved with the theater community in Windsor um, and have kind of a, a network and friends of friends who do some really cool things. So I was able to reach out and connect with a few people who are doing neat theater work. And so we've got three short interviews for this episode. And the first one is with uh, Chris Rabideau, Moya McAllister, who you may know as our co-project coordinator here at NSRLP. That's her day job, but her superhero <laughs> night job is um, as the vice president of Arts Collective Theater. Uh, along with, as I mentioned, Chris Rabideau, who is the artistic director. So Arts Collective Theatre, also known as ACT, is an organization which deliberately sets out to tackle social justice issues through theatre. The second interview we have is with Michael Potter, who is the managing director of Post Productions in Windsor. And then finally, we've got Leslie McCurdy, who is a very well-respected and celebrated actor, writer, and mentor, and has worked in Canada and internationally for many years. This is a terrific episode. Dana is the theater person around here, and I just really enjoyed listening to these interviews. So I invite the rest of you to listen now as well. Okay, so I'm here with Chris Rabideau, who is the Artistic Director of Arts Collective Theatre, also known as ACT, and Moya McAllister, who is the Vice President of ACT. Start with Chris, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do with ACT? Being Artistic Director, I get to 
look at the foundation of the year and where the vision of the company is going and what we want to introduce and what we want to do. Part of ACT, of course, one of our pillars has always been, guiding pillars has always been social justice. I'm really proud of that. Every year we create a brand new work. We write original work on the stories of people and themes that come out of uh, our city and how we can bring those themes, bring them to justice on the stage. I have a very basic question. Why do you think it's important to bring social justice issues into theater? It's who we are. Since the beginning of time, we have sat and told stories. We have looked at the issues that are happening within society. It is important that we continue to capture those issues and reflect them on the stage. Now, theater has always been such a great opportunity for society to look at what's happening within their own backyard, if you will. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can look at Shakespeare, and he did it all the time. He used comedy as a way to show what was going on with the Queen and what's happening within London or beyond to talk about the issues that were happening at the time. We do that all the time as well. Some of the greatest plays ever written have always captured that. When you look at violence, social injustice of any kind, theater has always been at the forefront and the arts have always been at the forefront for educating and allowing people to step inside the shoes of another. I think that's really important about mm-hmm. theater and especially in social justice is giving people the opportunity to step inside the shoes of another. It's not about a splashy musical. It's about the importance of one's thought mm-hmm. and their story and to share it with others. I think it has an important place in society and needs to continue to grow. We need to continue to be critical, ask questions, and develop theater practices that educate, motivate, and help educate everyone in the city. Moy, I'll kind of put this one to you. What do you think some of the the issues, uh, particular social justice issues, are right now that are particularly important to, to bring to the stage? I feel like we're seeing a, a lot of theater focusing on mental health, mm-hmm. focusing on bullying. Mm-hmm. Um, we Chris uh, wrote a musical with Kathy Costa um, two years ago called A Girl Like Me, and it was focused on cyberbullying because we kept seeing it happening here in Windsor, and, and especially in the young ages in middle school and um, high school, and so we... Uh, thought, you know, maybe we need to get a group of these youth between, you know, nine and 18 together into a room and talk about this and see what's going on Mm -hmm. in their schools and how Mm -hmm. they feel about it. And it was crazy how many people, how many of these youth wanted to tell their stories and wanted to say what was happening in their schools right now. And we're like, okay, well, then we need to... I will say this, in the last almost 10 years now I've been doing this as my job, uh, writing and producing and directing social justice theater pieces. Ten years ago, if you asked me that question, it was LGBT. It was actually uh, more the L and the G and the B. We moved into the T, trans issues, Mm -hmm. 2011 and 12. I really worked on that. And I would say now, if you ask me what the hot topic is, now there's a couple, women's rights, Mm -hmm. Me Too movement. I would say I'm working on a project right now with intellectual disabilities. It's unbelievable, uh, the legal action cases that are just coming out a couple years ago with that, the lawsuits, about the injustices, abuses, that were happening within uh, over the last hundred years, really. We are still dealing with the fallout of that. So a lot of issues that we thought perhaps were past are now more present than ever, and we have to look at what that means. If you look at what I just suggested LGBT, LGBT now you're looking at seniors because they grew up in a very different time Mm -hmm. where things weren't acceptable, and now they're going into long care facilities or branching out into community centers, and they're having to go back in the closet. Hmm. Because the people that they're living with, 80s, 90s, or around the age group, grew up in a time where it wasn't acceptable. acceptable. So they got out of that high school, out of the time, and were able to find acceptance 
And now, going back, they have to feel like they have to go back into the closet again. In a shifting world, we need the arts and we need social justice theater practices to be more more relevant than ever. That needs to speak to people more than ever. And we don't want to lose it at this time. When we feel safe, we get too comfortable, you have to move, right? And we're a little too comfortable right now. Mm. Uh, And that should scare some people. So just to wrap up, what is coming up for ACT? Well, uh, we're really excited. We work on The Wiz, uh, which is a great show. It's our first family show. We celebrate five years next year with ACT. and I can't believe it's been five (laughs) years. Uh, But we're excited. We're looking at The Wiz, and it's a family event. I also want every kid to come see this show and say, that could be me on stage. Mm. It's important that we continue with the cultural and heritage in our community and strengthen it. We are doing our next social justice show, which is with seniors, and it's on senior bullying. So we're going to talk about some of those things. Uh, in the in the show, and there's so much more on the horizon, which we'll be announcing soon. I always enjoy your shows, and Thank I can't you. wait to uh, come see the Wiz and everything else you're doing. So I'm speaking with Michael Potter, and Michael, you're the managing director for Post Productions in Windsor, and thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about Post Productions just in general? Post Productions was founded in September 2016. We had uh, my partner at the time, Michael O'Reilly. We loved the local theater scene, but we wanted to fill a niche that we didn't see being filled at the time, which was very emotionally intense um, and provocative uh, small, intimate dramas, Mm -hmm. mostly. Our theater that we have now, uh, the Shadowbox Theater, is is an intimate space. Mm -hmm. And we try to use that intimacy to our advantage as much as possible to break down the... You know, the effect you often have when you're watching a show that you're observing it. And instead, we want people to feel like they're caught up in it. And so when, uh, when there's an intense emotional moment between people, we want you to feel almost like you're in that room with them and are caught up in it. From your website, I know that uh, kind of tackling um, current issues and, and I guess problems in our in our society is trying part of what you're trying to do. So I would ask why is that important to you as a company and to you personally, perhaps? Well, as a company, I think Michael O'Reilly and I and now Faye Lin, who joined us last summer as a partner as well, we're all interested in the reality of human life, mm-hmm. right? So, so real kinds of experiences and real kinds of people and real kinds of feelings and real kinds of ideas that human beings have. And I think if you if you're interested in that, you're you're just going to be drawn to um, the kinds of, of of issues that are that are prevalent right now because mm-hmm. those are human <laughs> issues, right? That's human drama. I'm personally, my background is in moral philosophy. I know personally what I what I'm curious about is finding different ways to use storytelling to humanize people who are different than oneself, Mm. right? Who might be othered and who some people might not recognize as so much like them because Mm. of differences that are often really quite superficial. And so to try to present stories that bring people to life who are, you know, diverse and and unique and specific and individual and different from oneself, but in a way that respects their dignity as human beings Mm. and humanizes them is one of the functions that storytelling is really well suited for. And for me, theater is interesting primarily as a vehicle for storytelling. And what I don't want to ever do, and I really really try to avoid, is any kind of didactic Mm -hmm. kind of lesson. Like, I I hate that. I hate that as a teacher. (laughs) I hate that as a a theater producer. I hate it as an audience member. I don't like that because I I find it's often ineffective anyway. Mm -hmm. And also, it's certainly not um, very compelling. But if you're just creating a story and people are drawn into it and through that story experience a life that's really different than their own and then come to think about some things differently, 
that's a far more compelling and, I think, long-lasting way of approaching these things. What issues right now do you see as really important? And, um, you know, what among those, I guess, are you hoping to bring bring to the stage and bring to this community? You know, there's there are a lot of issues going on right now, or a lot of movements, a lot of um, causes, and a lot of um, topics of discussion that I think are really important. I mean, we're in a, we're in a really interesting period, I think, <laughs> <Sure> <laughs> historically. <laughs> and it'll be interesting 20 years from now to look back on this and see how we remember it. But, you know, you have the, you have the Me Too movement. You have, you know, greater uh, push for recognition of different sorts of identity categories, you know, in terms of sexuality, gender, and all these different sorts of things, different approaches to life, different mm-hmm. philosophies of life. You have a, a greater awareness of, I think, systemic barriers and systemic problems that have been keeping people from living to their fullest potential, you know, and, and being recognized as fully human. And I would hope that what this is coalescing into eventually, and there will be fits and starts and slides backward and forward and all of that, but eventually what I hope it coalesces into is a greater recognition of and respect for human dignity as a fundamental principle. I mean, even something like our last production, Equus, mm. for me what's really compelling about it is fundamentally it's about dignity. Mm-hmm. It's about choosing who chooses the form of life that you get to express yourself through and that you get to live and the different forces that often inadvertently conspire against us to, to, to force us to bend to pressures and uh, habits and rituals and customs and all of these mm-hmm. different things that have nothing to do with who we are as human beings and, and how we need to express ourselves and how that can warp us over time. In the spring, we did Stop Kiss. Mm-hmm. It's such a compelling story. It's a, it's a romance about a relationship between these two women, one of whom identifies as a lesbian, the other does not. Mm-hmm. But they develop this friendship, and the friendship over time just sort of grows into a relationship. We really liked about it was that a lot of times when you have um, an LGBT um, relationship in a play uh, or any kind of story, the, the story is about how that is an LGBT Mm-hmm. Yes. relationship. It's yep. not about the relationship. The relationship right? like, itself. It's, right. Yeah. Romeo and Juliet isn't about the fact that Romeo and Juliet are hetero. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? It's about the particularities of right. that relationship. Exactly. And, and the human yeah. beings and, yes. and all of yeah. that. So it, it, dro- it drives me up the wall. And I know it does Michael and Faye as well. <laughs> like, like, why can't that be the case yep. for LGBT you know, relationships? And Stop Kiss was like that, mm-hmm. where it wasn't the focus. The focus was on these two human beings. Mm-hmm. But that's sort of, I think... Part of it is that part of humanizing, you know, difference and so forth, and part of respecting the dignity of human beings is presenting them as their own human beings, right? As Mm -hmm. individuals with Mm -hmm. their own histories and lives and desires and all of that, not as representatives of various categories that they're assigned to. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Dana. Thanks so much for, for taking the time to uh, to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. No worries. No problem. Great. Thanks for so, <laughs> Oh, of course. So uh, first thing I would say is are in the midst of such an interesting uh, career, and you've done so many interesting different things. Um, and, of course, you're, I, I'd say, probably best known for your one-woman show, The Spirit of Harriet Tubman. So can I just ask, why do you feel that it's important to tackle, you know, kind of more social justice issues in theater and the arts? You know, I think that theater is one way that you can really um, reach people emotionally and touch them with messages that, you know, need to be shared. 
because sometimes on, people can see themselves in characters that they see on stage. Mm-hmm. So I think that's just another way of communicating things and making it maybe more acceptable to them. Um, you know, you could you could try and call a person out to the, for their behavior, in which case they're going to become very resistant and defensive. Mm-hmm. But if you show them something on theater or sometimes even a movie, you know, where they see a character that they identify with in some kind of way, then maybe they're they're a little bit more open to looking at themselves more critically. That's I, I would agree with you. <laughs> so can I ask what are what do you see as some important issues at the moment? And I know there's I would say there's probably a lot going on in the world right now. Um, kind of like are, everything coming to a, a, a fore right now. It's like it's all coming <laughs> to a head. It certainly <laughs> you know, feels that way a lot of the it's time. Either yeah. we're going to move forward in a way that promotes the well-being of humanity, or we're going to move forward in a way that promotes the well-being of wealth and money. Mm-hmm. And it seems like right now there's all, all the other things that we're seeing are an ultimate is an ultimate struggle, you know, towards in fact, I've been performing last week. I was performing my play, Things My Four Sisters Saw, in local schools. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, after the performance, students would say, well, you know, what would you like to see change in the world? And I would, I said, I'd like to see us get rid of money. Mm-hmm. Somehow yeah. we've forgotten that money is a tool that we're supposed to use, and we've let mm-hmm. it become our reason for living. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. destroying our world, we're destroying each other over this accumulation of wealth ideal that mm-hmm. actually makes no sense if we truly trust we live in a world of plenty. And one of the students, I, I was telling one of the students one of my stories from when I was a kid about an ecosystem that we created in school and how scared I am about our economy. And she says, well, why don't you write a play about that? <laughs> hmm, maybe I should, if it's connecting with you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So there great. are all kinds yeah. of different things that yeah. theater in of itself, and, you know, after all my performances, I hold a discussion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of those issues come up in the discussion afterwards. But it opens the door for that. Theater can mm-hmm. open the door for that. So can I ask, have, um, has this happened before and have you kind of worked off of suggestions, from, especially from students or kids in your work, and have you kind of um, gone on to create uh, works yes. reflected in what you're hearing? Things my four sisters saw, the, the play that uh, mm-hmm. I performed Viola Desmond in, I mm-hmm. actually created after I was doing The Spirit of Harriet Tubman, in part because students said, wow, that was a cool way to learn history. Can you write another play? <laughs> So what, um, I mean, I know you've kind of talked a little bit about this, but is there is there one kind of particular issue that's really been on your mind in the last couple of years that you are trying to kind of bring to the forefront of, of your work? Um, well, you know, the whole racism thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's being spoken about loudly now, but, you know, um, most people like to think of themselves as non-racist, but we live mm-hmm. in a racist society. Mm-hmm. Um, and in part, using my work, I try to point that out, how we all grow up with it. You know, I'll, tell, I'll say to students, I say, listen, when I see some young black men in hoodies walking towards me, I get nervous, try to look more closely and say, oh, damn, that's my son and his friends. <laughs> which shows just how stupid it is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. But that's part of it. And, you know, I try and teach kids, you know, where this comes from. I'm, I'm very um, optimistic mm-hmm. in that um, the children that I'm seeing in schools now, 20 years later from when I started, don't actually know a lot of the stereotypes that mm-hmm. 20 years ago people were taking for granted. Mm-hmm. But they're still interested in racism and, and how it, you know, 
develops and propagates. So I explain that to them, and I explain to them to be critical of stuff, information that they're getting on the media. You know, don't believe the hype. Get to know people individually. You know, don't don't just group people, all people, uh, as all the same. You know, mm-hmm. and so I get to spread those kind of messages that I think ultimately, um, you know, will help. You know, I like to think of myself as spreading a few seeds mm-hmm. that will grow into trees that will spread some seeds that eventually generations down might, you know, floor, grow into a uh, uh, forest of goodwill. Oh, I love that. What a lovely image. Yes, that's wonderful. And I, I agree with you. I think I think theater and um, the arts is such a, a potent way to do that. Thank Every, you. Everybody should be exposed to theater. That's one thing, you know. Yes. I would like to make the schools and the parent councils and stuff aware of the plethora of educational mm. fine art that there is available to schools so that mm. kids can be exposed to it so that they can ignite their imaginations. If I couldn't imagine yeah. a better world, I probably couldn't do what I do. With all that's going on in the world and all the propaganda and all mm. of the, you know, that's going on, there have, we have to still have people that can imagine beyond all this crap. Well, thank you so much, Leslie. I really appreciate your time. You're very welcome. Thank you. So I found it very interesting listening to some of the themes in those conversations that seemed to uh, to resonate throughout all, all three interviews, actually. And I, you know, I know that for each of us, Dana, a few things jumped out, but I'm going to let you begin by talking about the way all these theater groups are really focused on trying to educate kids. I was struck by the way Chris and Moya and Leslie in particular talked about the influence um, that theater can have on on kids that, you know, as Chris mentioned with their production of The Wiz, it's so important, right, to have representation of, of different people and that the hope is that children who come to see The Wiz say, you know, that can be me or can identify. Right, he said they could see themselves yeah, in the actors yeah. on the stage. Yeah. And then more explicitly, of course, Leslie talks about her work in schools with kids and how much they influence her work. And I just love, because kids, it, that's not a group that you can kind of preach at in terms of like social justice issues but it's a way to introduce these topics and to humanize these different types of people through storytelling right even before that as i think it was leslie who said even before they have developed the stereotypes yes exactly that they might develop as they as they get older no i thought that was great but i but i think the part about what all of them said that i was the most interested in of all was that discussion about the use of stories. Because mm-hmm. really, in my own work as a researcher, stories are you know, my stock in trade. And because the work I do is qualitative, that is very much about people's own narratives. And I think that at the project here, we have really tried to use the value of human stories to give you know, a real face to the self-represented litigants crisis. And, you know, some a group that might seem strange or other or even a little scary as a result of people not knowing what the real stories are, I think can really get transformed in people's imagination. Even if they don't personally meet somebody who's a member of that group, if they can hear their story. And I think that uh, I hadn't really expected to hear that storytelling theme quite so strongly in these accounts of social justice theatre, but I think that the goal is effectively the same as ours, which yeah. is to make it seem real and, and to touch people 
with actual stories of people's lives. Right. And not in a, as Michael put it, kind of didactic, preachy kind of way, but in a, in a realistic, you know, kind of intimate, connecting kind of way that I think has a lot more influence than just trying to badger people into thinking differently. Absolutely. I mean, you know, as they all were clear, that, you know, social justice theater isn't about bringing people in and telling them what they're supposed to think. It's mm -hmm. about helping them to think in a way that is a safe space where they can, you know, check out some of their assumptions and they can look and, and see through the stories being told on the stage, maybe challenge their thinking a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then uh, one of the things that was a really <laughs> another through line in all of these conversations was everybody, we all brought up this, this our current climate, I guess you could say, and the different... The worst of times. The worst of times, as Dickens might say, exactly. Um, and kind of, as, as I forget who it was, who, who mentioned kind of the age of Trump or the rise of Trumpism, mm. and then just all of the things that seem to be kind of going along with that right now. And I was kind of feeling like, in, in reflecting on this... Um, I think theater provides such a great way. I think in some ways, sometimes theater could be a, an escape. Um, and that's why I love music theater mm. <laughs> personally. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that at moments like this, it provides such an inspirational opportunity to um, explore issues like this. And I think this is why we're seeing, you know, it, this is the case in Windsor, and I'm guessing it is in other communities as well. There seems to be a rise over the last couple in, of in years. In this type of theater. Yeah, of this type of introspective, um, social justice focused theater, the, you know, exploring issues that are going on right now through the arts and through theater. And I think it's a really powerful way to do that. Yeah, and I, I'm certainly, you know, reminded of how if we focus on the way that we interact in social media around issues of the day, issues of the week, you know, there is a lot of yelling and shouting and chaos, and yes. maybe that is the worst of times, but you have a completely different sense of how you engage with an issue uh, through theater. And I, and I think that all of them really express that, that very well indeed. Yeah, and then, you know, kind of related to that is this idea that struck me as well, that all, all four of these people that we talked to have this optimism. And it's kind of this inherent theater optimism that we can change the world, we can make a difference through storytelling, through theater. Um, and I think we really need that, especially, as, again, in the worst of times, or in all times. We kind of need that, that inspiration, that imagination, as Leslie put it, that keeps us kind of striving to be better as individuals and as a group. Right. And again, I think that speaks in, in many ways to the motivation of the people who work on this project. Mm -hmm yourself and Moya and the student researchers and our advisory board, you know, everybody who's engaged in this is looking at some pretty dismal realities in relation to self-represented litigants and the lack of support for them and sometimes hostility towards them. But they're all engaging with it in an optimistic way and believing that if we can really create better understanding about what people's experiences are, we can get to a better place. And I think that that's a very good message for the NSRLP as well. Yes, it is. So on that note, I say, first jingle of all, bells, well, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. <laughs> I hope this episode inspires you to go out and see some theater over the holidays. But yeah, also, you know, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays, Happy everyone. Happy holidays. In other news, 
We're doing something slightly different for the In Other News segment this week. This episode is our last podcast of the season, and we'd like to thank all of our listeners for following our work, both on this podcast and more generally on our social media pages. We also want to conclude this season of the podcast with an appeal to all of our listeners to contribute to social justice and access to justice causes this holiday season. This past month in particular, with the announced closing of three pro bono Ontario centres and the subsequent push for donations, it is clear that the broader community is aware of the benefit of access to justice organisations and the great work that they do in Ontario, in the rest of Canada, and around the world. For those of you that haven't heard, Pro Bono Ontario received $250,000 in funding from the federal government, along with an additional $275,000 in donations from private donors. This funding will allow the centres to remain open through 2019. Just like Pro Bono Ontario, there are a lot of other organisations that provide access to justice services to the public and are often in need of donations. Given the access to justice crisis that we are currently in the midst of, it's more important than ever to ensure that organizations that provide these valuable public services obtain the contributions they need to continue doing their work. This entire month of December, NSRLP will be posting on social media about a variety of access to justice organizations that could use your support. Below our podcast today, we've also linked to NSRLP's own donation page, where you'll be able to make a charitable donation and receive a tax receipt. Whether you donate to NSRLP or any of the other organizations we'll be posting about this month, we hope you'll all join us in giving the gift of access to justice. That's it for this season of Jumping Off the Ivory Tower. Thanks again for listening and happy holidays.